0: Hi, you're listening to It Happened to Me, a rare disease and medical challenges podcast. The mission of our podcast is to support you, our listeners, and to create community as you confront the toughest challenges in life. All of us will experience health hardships. The real question is how we adapt. That's the focus of It Happened to Me, which wants to help you overcome limitations and live a full and satisfying life. Drawing on their own health challenges Co-hosts Kathy Gildenhorn and Beth Glassman interview guests who share stories and research to help you succeed in the face of difficult health obstacles. It happened to me. I'm not alone, and neither are you. Wes has been involved in rare and orphan
1: diseases since 1998, interviewing and surveying patients, family caregivers, physicians, nurses, and patient advocacy group leaders. Wes has more than 40 years' experience in market research and over 20 years in healthcare market research.
2: Thank you for joining us today on our Rare Disease Celebration episode, Wes.
1: Hey, good to be here.
2: Sh- oh, we're thrilled you're here, Wes. Thank you. Thank you. Can you share with us the story behind the creation of Rare Patient Voices? And what inspired you to establish this organization?
3: Yeah, um, it's funny, I come from a, uh, not from the rare disease world. I came from the consumer market research world. I did market research on Wheaties and on McCormick Spices and things like that. But then in in the 90s, I moved into the healthcare field. And that's just when... Uh, they start well, they've always been interested in, in uh, health, health companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies, lifestyle. They've always been interested in what uh, doctors think, right? They prescribe, they're important, but they just started to get interested in the patients. They were starting to advertise to them on TV. And so I got involved in that. It was, it was, uh, and I I found people like to talk about their cereal, breakfast cereals and their spices, but nothing near like, their kid has a disease or they're suffering, right? It's, it's life and death, it's their family. It was so exciting to have people talk about that. And then I found one, it was, they, they like to do that, but two, it was difficult to find patients. How do you find people that, you can find people that eat Wheaties, but how do you find people with certain rare diseases? And a client came to us that was in the hemophilia space. And they said, could you and your company find us uh, hemophilia patients, create what we call in research, a panel, a community of folks and we could use, uh, do a lot of surveys and interviews. We really want to learn what they think, what they like, how we can serve them better. And we said, sure, we we went to the National Hemophilia Foundation and we recruited folks. Uh, it wasn't even internet, it was paper and pencil, but people were very eager. They said, what's this about? Oh, I'm happy to share my opinions. And um, and it worked well. And every year we'd go back to that conference. Well, the, here's where the motivation for, for Rare Patient Voice came. A couple of years later, a different client at that conference came up to me and said, hey, I hear you have this wonderful community of hemophilia patients. Can we access it? Can we ask them questions? I'm like, well, no, you know, it was paid for by client A. You can't make it available to client B. But I thought to myself, why not create a group? that's not beholden to any one company that could answer questions from a lot of different companies. Well, that gave me the idea that was 20 some years ago. I didn't do anything about it though, until 11 years ago, I kept saying that I had that idea, but it came together for me 11 years ago, personally and professionally, I was pr- professionally, I was working for a research company that ran short on on funds and, and asked me if I would work for a few months without being paid. And my uh, and my wife had been out of the workforce raising our kids and she was looking for a job. Well, a job fell into her lap that had healthcare, right? It was all about having the health care. And I said, okay, wait a minute, you do that. And if I'm not going to be paid, I know something I'd rather do. I'd rather start this company. And um, and guess what? The first thing I did was go to the hemophilia conference. <laughs> I had done it. I knew it worked. I've been involved in that category and I didn't even know whether uh, that's all we would ever do. But now we're up to 1500 different diseases and et cetera, et cetera. So How interesting. Just, that was the impetus. Somehow it just, it just clicked. But uh, it the, really the took year. on
1: the marketing mold that, that got you into this space with uh-huh. rare patients and caregivers.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I've met so many and it's like so many have such, you know, Compelling stories. Uh, it's like, oh, every disease is worse than the one before.
1: Well, congratulations! That's quite impressive. It's really uh, revolutionary what you did.
2: It's um, you were really on the cutting edge there.
1: Yeah,
3: it, uh, it's turned, the timing was 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 great because companies got more. we getting more and more interested in the patients, and uh, uh-huh. they needed help finding them, and so it was uh, worked out well for everybody.
1: Yeah, you were a well, great bridge.
2: Yes, yeah, so that leads me to my next question. How could you? Um, how, can you explain
3: uh-huh. how
2: the rare patient voice connects patients and caregivers with uh, opportunities to voice their own opinions on uh-huh. medications um, and other products and services? Yeah. So,
3: so the way the way it works is. If you're a, a pharmaceutical company, a biotech, or a device company, or even an academic, a, a researcher, and you are you interested in a patient opinions, they'll typically go to a, a market research firm. Uh, a lot of the big company or big and small companies have good, large and small firms they know and they love that analyze, you know, give them good uh, insights. Uh, and those firms will say, "Great!" and they'll write up surveys and they'll get up interviews, They'll have everything ready to go, and they'll say, "Ah, but." um, to find a patient, we go to a rare patient voice. So they'll come to us. And so they'll say, we're looking for hundred people with hemophilia or 20 people with lupus or whatever it might be. We go to the folks who've signed up with us and send them an email. It's As simple as that we send wow. an email and we try to tell people as simple as possible. What it is, Hey, this is a 30 a minute online survey for folks with myasthenia gravis and it pays $60. We pay people at the rate of $120 per hour of their time but we'll say it right in the headline and the bolts cuz people don't want to waste their time you know if you're like me you get all these stray emails so we don't want it to get lost in the in the email uh, you know uh, you know waterfall mm-hmm. yeah and uh, so if this, we simply do that we don't want to spam people we don't want to ask people if they don't have a certain disease we want to target it to them and then we let them know what it is and it's up to them to decide they can say oh that sounds interesting i'd like to do it or i'd rather not do it and then we, we we don't we don't bother them anymore. But so it's as simple as that. Once people are, have signed up with us, we send an email, and then they can they can make the judgment um, whether they want to participate. Or whether
1: anything. they want to proceed. Yeah. Well, how that's does great. rare How does rare patient voice ensure that the voices of patients and caregivers are heard but and valued in the you know, that, that's research a and development process? Yeah,
3: that that
1: is that's that's very good
3: because people can give their opinion, but it's they don't want to just be giving it and have it ignored. Um, exactly. One of the things I think is most important. Uh, this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but the fact that we paid patients, as I said, 120 bucks an hour, and uh, it makes it more value. You know, if you get uh, we had we had opera tickets years ago, and one time we couldn't go, and we gave it to my brother-in-law. Well, it was free to him, so at the last minute they didn't feel like going. Well, if they knew what it cost, they would have gone. Um, so think of a pharma company. We pay these people. Let's listen to what they have to say. If you pay for <laughs> something, you attach value to it. So I think it's important because sometimes people say, well, donate my money. And that's, that's very generous of folks. But I say, but it's important that, that the money go to you because then then your your, your voice is valued. Because think about it. If you're in a big, um, you know, pharmaceutical, whatever kind of company, money is an important thing. They value what they pay for So I think that is so important. The other is simply, my goodness, once you hear people talk. So many of these are what we call qualitative interviews, like like a Zoom interview or an in-person interview. If you hear people's stories, you can't help but be moved by it. And it's so great to hear somebody that's working on a a drug or the access to a drug or how it might help people. It's just not numbers on a chart, right? It's real people. And and, and we find that it's, it's really powerful to get that voice in front of people. They can't help but be moved.
1: Yes. Well, what types of surveys and interviews do patients and caregivers participate in through Rare Patient Voice? And how do their insights contribute to improving healthcare?
3: Ah, yeah. It's amazing. There's so many different types of surveys and interviews. I mean, um, there are... um, And and then... uh, especially before COVID, there were a lot of in-person, and there's still some in-person, which is really hard with rare diseases because how many people live in the same area that they could go to the same location? But so much of it is uh, about new products, new treatments, uh, medications that are coming out. That's, because you think about it, why would people want to pay to do this research? Well, they have a new treatment and they need to find out what patients are going to think about it. Do they understand it? What will they ask their doctor about? What do they like? What don't they like? And patients love that because it's I say it's like getting a sneak preview of drugs coming down the pike because they won't show have the name, you know, it'll always always be blinded, but they'll 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 see it and uh and have an idea of some of the new treatments that are coming. And and they'll do that with uh, um what I say, qualitative, like a phone, like an hour-long phone conversation. Used to be on the phone, now it's usually a Zoom type call where the people can see each other or right. an in-person or an online survey where. People um, typically they, those go shorter than that because it gets really boring. Like one in an hour, you know, <laughs> clicking off boxes and things. Um, but it's typically shorter. Um, so online service, but there's there's all there's there's um, uh, online what they call online bulletin boards where people can post whenever it's convenient to them, but they can see what the other people post and they can respond and talk. It's it's like a, a session like that. There's there's some even where they'll they'll go to people's homes. Now obviously people want to give their permission for that. My wife always says, well, I'd have to clean the house. But uh, but so many people are happy. So Because they want to see what people, it's one thing what people can say. But if you see how people live, right, you really can get some insights into how you help them. You might say, hey, it's not just about them and their kid. Their other children are there and they don't have the disease, but they need help taking care of that. Whatever it might be, you see people's lifestyle uh, in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all sorts of different um. Uh, research. It's amazing what uh, people come up with to, to, to interview people about.
1: Absolutely. Well, what are some of the common challenges or barriers that patients and caregivers face when they're trying to participate in medical research? And how does rare patient voice address these challenges? You know, probably the biggest challenge um, is,
3: is geography. It's like, if, if, if travel, sure. which, you know, if they said it could again, as I said before COVID, so many things were in person, you know, we'll focus group, I'll go to interview, which is great to do that. But think about it. I remember uh, somebody who scheduled an arthritis groups on the third floor of a building that didn't have an elevator. Oh. Well, that's a big. Uh, idea. Yeah. Or, or think of, think of, um, of uh, 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 eyesight, right? If uh, yeah. they put it online and it's tiny print, well, no, no, no. You've got to make it accessible. So accessibility is is a key thing. And 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 here's where COVID actually was a had, had a silver lining. It forced so many companies to say, "Wait a minute, how can we do it without making people travel?" Because right? nobody could go anywhere. Right. They mm-hmm. So they, they so many people um, figured out ways like Zoom, like we're using now, using using these platforms to do it um from a distance. And that's, it's so good in, in a number of ways because if you're a rare patient and you live in Montana, you're never going to be invited to Chicago too. But if you're in Montana, you can be on a Zoom call or you could do a, a an interview on your computer. So right. it really opened up the world to uh, people were more accepting that people could be anywhere. And I think that really helped overcome one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges to 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 to, to um talk to people. I guess the other challenge is um I think it's trust um you know you don't you need to trust who's asking you questions or what you're mm-hmm. doing and I mean if you're going to your personal physician and you trust him or her and they <laughs> leave that's that's terrific but so many of these are clinical trials stuff you don't really know so you companies and organizations really have to establish trust and it doesn't happen overnight right you don't you don't make friends in a in very a good point yeah you have it. so we <laughs> so we like to point. do that with our folks I always say uh, it, people can refer other patients to us. And I love it, but mm-hmm. don't do it. Wait until you're comfortable. They wait until they've done a study or two and they see that they're treated well and they see they're paid quickly, you know, cause nobody, you know, you know, like pushy salesmen do it now, do it now. No, 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 no I don't trust them. If, but if they're like, no, 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 do it at your own speed. Wait until you're comfortable and confident. Then then uh, at least we've found that really helps people gain, gain trust. And that's, you know, you have to that's do it. Mm-hmm.
2: well and the trust then fosters um good good uh responses I would imagine yes more yes. uh, in depth responses some, uh, that, not a a, mm. a a brief summary but a, something that maybe is more valuable
3: that's right and more 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 <laughs> they the, the, the deep deeper and you know some people after some of the interviews and such contact because we don't see the it's interesting we don't see the interviews or see the survey results we know who has taken part. And we uh-huh. pay them, but we don't see their answers. The clients don't know the per pe- person's name. they have uh-huh. an ID, but they know the answer. so it's it's a good way to protect it. but but sometimes yes. afterwards, people will tell us that was very cathartic. Or I told them things I haven't even told my family, you know because it's a you have oh. an empathetic interviewer that really knows the category and and people uh-huh. it's it's almost like a therapy session. people are able to to share what's deep inside them if it's you know if it's't so oh,
2: that interesting huh. yeah. So uh, can you discuss the role of patient advocacy groups huh. uh, in your work and how Rare Patient Voices collaborates with these organizations to amplify patient voices?
3: Yeah, we love, we love patient advocate, advocacy groups. Um, we work with them several ways. One is we love to go to their events. You don't have to have a, a oh. walk, or a conference, or a fundraiser, uh-huh. and that's where you meet patients in person. Yeah, and, and that I didn't realize this at the time. I figured, well, how else do you find people? But to go to where they are, so it was wonderful. But, but I found out um, coincidentally, if you were, there's a lot of other benefits to that. One, if they see us, they trust us. They get an email. they will like, oh, I met these people. It's not just you don't know, mm-hmm. get a stray email. You're like, who's this, and where did they get my email? But no, oh, I met these people at at, at the at the MS walk or whatever it might be. So it helps gain trust that way. And then our clients love the fact that we've met so many people. Because here's here's a scary thing. Do you know there's a ton of fraud in market mm-hmm. research? I mean, Any, I, I guess any industry where there's money, right? Any industry, there's, somebody's gonna figure out some kind of a fraud. But there are people um, that will fake uh, a disease to do a survey. There can be, there might not even be people. Really? That's in another huh. country. There, there are places that have all these computers set up to automatically pretend to be people and answer surveys just to get to the, oh, the, the money. money.
2: And that so,
3: it, 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 It's crazy. So our clients love, it's like, no, no, no. We've met folks. You know, uh-huh. we we we've gone to that and, and and we know it. The other great thing is um patients refer other patients. Yes. And that's. I call that golden too. People don't refer to mm-hmm. a thing. <laughs> it's somebody yeah. in their support group, or if it's a genetic disease, it might be a, a relative or whatever it might be. So, so um, you know, by by going to events and and, and oh, the, back to the advocacy group. So advocacy groups are referral partners to us, also. So I in see. addition to having an event, we'll pay an advocacy group. Uh, ten dollars for everybody that they refer to us. They can't give us people's names. What they can do is post it on their um, Facebook page or <coughs> a newsletter, and we give them a unique link. So if somebody signs up uh, on our website, we know who who's directly where they came and, and, from, and we yeah. pay them. We pay them for that, and and we love that because that's we call it a passive fundraiser for these for these groups because they can just put the word out, and it's a be- they're giving a benefit right to their members too. They don't. If they're not interested, they don't have to do it. But if they do it, they earn one hundred and twenty dollars per hour of their time. So it's like a double hit: the group gets funding, and the people get funding, and and um, it's 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 yes, yeah, a win-win, right? It's a win to this all. This is people. really
2: an all-out effort to get patients to sign up. I didn't realize that. Um, so you're you've got people that are out at events. This is really yeah. uh, quite an involved process uh, in order to ensure truthfulness is what you're after for you yeah client, and right? when,
0: when i first started answers. it was just
3: me and i was going around to these events and actually oh my it was quite, kind of neat because a, a walk will be like on a saturday or sunday morning so i'd go to chicago my son would go to chicago He was like 10 or 12 and he would have a weekend and we would do tourist things and my daughter would i remember she went with me to ms walk in albuquerque and we had the rest of the weekend to, to do to do fun things so we went around but now we have a whole team of people that uh-huh. work with us. And, and, and here's here's something else I didn't plan on that was terrific. So many of the people, uh, part-time people that started working for us at events, you know, they were parents of, they have a disease or the parents of the kids with a condition. Right. And he said, what can I do for you? And so they would start doing that for us. And then over time, some of them said, well, what else can I do? Or, and we, you know, we oh. somebody, you can see that they're, so now a lot of our staff is from that community our full time project managers are oh, from wonderful. that so they know the rare disease community and then they're dealing yes. with it so they yeah. you know and, so they and, and truly knew, are
2: empathetic they're yeah really and we know we knew that they were yeah, a good workers because legit. you
3: are know, working somebody part time and it, it's it's not it's not a you know somebody tricking you into hiring them they're terrific right. so we had and a wonderful f- thing and i never planned on it it just kind of it just kind of happened
1: do you feel it's like organic. the medical research community really values um, this connection, this bridge to the patients and the caregivers back to what we were talking about yeah, before? Yeah. More more and more
3: they do. It's amazing. Um, they all have the phrase patient centricity, right? You've heard, heard that. And they all say we have a commit, commitment to patient centricity, which at first... And maybe to some companies it's lip service, but I see more and more over time that they say, wait a minute, we need to talk to patients um, early on. We need to help. We can't just talk to the experts and set up a clinical trial. We have to talk to the patients. What's important to them? How Mm -hmm. to make it work for them? Makes so much um, sense.
1: It's like Kleenex. I know. It's (laughs) it's not so obvious
3: because it's, as I say, it's so funny when people, when I started people like, well, we talked to the doctors because they prescribe." Well, who are the people that use your products? You got to talk to the people that you, you know, they'll, they'll tell you everything. A doctor might say, oh, my patients don't mind t- having shots. I tell the, the patient, might say, might I don't tell the doctor this, but I hate getting shots. I wish they would come out with a pill. You know, uh, you have to talk to the people. And Absolutely. the caregiver, sometimes patients won't, won't say it, but the caregivers will say, well, my, let me tell you, my wife really hates this. She won't tell you, you know, you really need to get the point of view. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: So how how do you uh, get diversity and inclusiveness uh-huh. in this project? How do you well, how do you well, yeah, do and that? that? And that is
3: so important now, right? Yeah, and yeah. A, a big question. I mean, back to what, back to our basics. We go to where the people are. So we'll go to events. Uh-huh. I remember, uh, I'll go to a, a lupus walk in Chicago or an MS walk in Baltimore. So we really get a lot of minorities, people of color. When when you go to the events where they are, and the fact uh-huh. that they can earn. Uh, it, for years, it was a hundred dollars an hour, and we, with the inflation, we raised it to hundred and twenty dollars per hour. But pe- that, that's very important and impactful to people, uh, and, and, and because of that, we pay people uh, by check. We don't send a gift card. Gift cards are nice, but these people people tell us I can't pay my rent with a gift card. Uh-huh. I can't pay my copay. So we like to uh-huh. appeal to to those folks. But but going where they are and, and 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 reaching out to them, you know, the biggest diversity problem we have is, is gender. Women are much better. better. They join and they're more Think we, we men, we don't like to talk about any of this stuff. We'll get, um, so for example, if we have a breast cancer project and a prostate cancer, women will come out of the woodwork and talk about the breast cancer men. It's Uh like pulling teeth to get them to talk about (laughs) that. So
1: that's
3: (laughs) our, that's that's... our bigger one. We, we, We rather that we get, you know, we focus on the diseases and conditions and we certainly get people of all the demographics, but but getting the men is is, is the most difficult.
2: <laughs> wow, well, just think of our Secretary of Defense, he's back in the hospital again. Right, and he
3: didn't even want to tell uh, his boss, the President. No, the president. didn't
2: even want to tell his boss uh,
3: see, that see, he had I, prostate. I, 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 I gotta believe and I think if it
2: had been another form of cancer, he would have owned up, right? It could, it
3: could be, or if it had been a woman, uh, it wouldn't have been prostate, yes, or, but, but I'm right. sure she would have you know, She would
2: it. have said, <laughs> but men don't want to admit that they're ill. Exactly. I don't exactly.
1: Tell.
3: Right. So huh. someday, we, w- hopefully, we can overcome that. But um, that's
2: that's We have so very many that do. It's just
3: percentage wise. Men, yes, men,
2: I understand yeah. that men are not as open, uh, maybe, yeah. to chatting about it as women. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Can you share some insights into the process of patient recruitment and how Rare Patient Voices identifies and Uh, engages with
3: them. Yeah, I talked a little bit about going to these events. That's so important. Yes. Uh, The referral partners. But the other thing we do, and we have a wonderful team that's so good at this, social media. I mean, I know about Facebook, but Uh I don't even think of Instagram, but Instagram and TikTok. and Mm you, Because people with, you know, as you can imagine, there's all different ages and such, and you really want to appeal to them. And, And it's really great. They go out and post things and let people know. And, and, and it's not just us, we work with the advocacy, back to the advocacy groups. We'll help them post. We'll say, we'll, we'll give them materials and things because it's so important when it comes from them, it again, helps with the trust issue because they might already know the advocacy group and, and they see. know that we're working together. So all of those things. Now, what one of the things that means is we have that team works very closely. They don't. We just don't let people just sign up and get in. Um, be back to that fraud issue. We, we look very closely Um what, uh, what, what medications are they using? Does that make sense for that? If, if, mm. if there's a red flag, if something looks a little weird, I see pull them up. It's funny. Just talking to somebody live, you know, I go to doctors, you know, in two seconds, you know, they're real, right? Like yes. type So you I mean, do validate these and, people. and searching online for an answer. It's like, well, they might be real or not, but we can't take the oh. chance. So.
2: Oh, interesting. So you really have to do a background check.
3: Yeah, you, you really have to, to have, take your time. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, because, again, I, fortunately, I know this stuff, having done it, for, and even more fortunately, other folks are doing it now but um, on, on our team. But it's not just the information people. It's a pattern. I remember mm. once people signed up, everything was fine. But I noticed a lot of these emails all had a fruit in them. You know, because you can get a uh, uh, they had a what? Of Gmail addresses in a minute, right? So they probably oh. couldn't think of it. they said Joe Peach something and Joe Apple and Mary. You know, I'm like, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute. A fruit. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to look at the so the pattern. emails
2: were fake. The emails yeah, were yeah. fake. Yeah, so you look at saying. the
3: pattern and say, wait a minute, wait a
2: minute. Oh wait. wow. Oh my goodness, boy. I tell you, you have to be on your toes, don't you? And,
3: and <laughs> as you can imagine, <laughs> when I tell patients this like I don't even want to have this condition and somebody else is pretending to I mean yeah yeah, that, yeah right, that's really, right? it's, it's really it's, infuriating. Can it's really
2: infuriating
3: can't people use that ingenuity for good right instead yeah, of
2: really,
1: but,
3: really. yeah really
2: mm. really well that's the time we live in i
1: guess <laughs> yeah well, Wes, i'd love to go back to talking about how pharmaceutical and biotech companies benefit from partnering with rare disease organizations. And we were talking about how they're starting to understand they need to talk to the patients more than even the doctors so that they're more um, just a little more responsive to the people using the product as opposed to uh, uh, the doctors prescribing the product and do do patient insights bring um, value to the research and development efforts? Have they helped to uh, just really target them and make them a little stronger and better?
3: Yeah, I I, I think one of the key areas where they do that is clinical trials, right? No Mm -hmm. drug will get approved and, and brought to market without passing through the various clinical trials. And, and companies have learned the hard way that you can't just you know, go to your scientific researchers and create a clinical trial uh, because what's the number one problem with clinical trials? They can't get patients and they take too much time. And to these companies, the clock is ticking on their patent. They need to, they mm. need to uh, have it. So it's so important to talk to some patients first. They'll help set up the clinical trial or the, they'll learn what will attract people to this, for example, Somebody, a company might think, um, hey, um, people will like to come in more often, but for a shorter visit. But they talk to patients, the patient's like, no, if I'm taking the day off, mm-hmm. I don't care if the visit's long or short, but if I can do it every six weeks instead of every two weeks. So they can learn what works mm-hmm. best from the patient mm-hmm. and the patient's family's huh. point of view. And 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 even the measures that, that they test, that they wanna prove that it works, find out from the patient. So more and more of them now, before they even set up a clinical trial they talk to the patients they go to the patient advoca- advocacy group they learn what's important to them and that sets them up for success it's much better to talk early than as they as the group say then go Makes you wonder what they this, did like before this you know and
1: <laughs> because it makes so much sense how did they how did they do it without talking to them
3: I know and that's why they found why are we having trouble with this? You know, we talked to the patients. Yeah, you talked to them after it was set up. Was uh, yeah, patients. exactly. So, exactly. I, see, I, I see more and more learning that, doing that, and I think it's going to make a big difference. Uh, so, wow. I'm happy, very happy to. So the that.
2: doctors are really not able to provide that sort of insight.
3: Yeah. And, and and obviously they have to. the
2: talk doctors about us, recommend the may recommend the trial to the patient, but they no. can't say if the patient's actually going to sign up or if the patient, right. what the patient, their hesitancy is. The doctor can't articulate that.
3: Right. The and, and, way and, the
2: patient can.
3: And they might know some of it, but they won't know. Right. But, you know, because, right. you know, it's just a different it's just a different world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, what trends or developments do you foresee in the field of rare disease research and patient engagement?
3: Well, the good news is is, uh, the biggest trend is more of it. They are focusing more. Oh,
1: good, yeah.
3: I mean, we've seen it just because we've grown over the past 11 years. More and Mm -hmm. more requests to talk to patients at all stages of it. Um, and, And back to what I was alluding to earlier, I think it's the companies talk about patient centricity but now they're they're actually do you're putting their money where their mouth is right okay <laughs> actually actually doing it uh, cuz we see so much more um happening there so many more uh uh engagements and earlier in the process cuz that's key cuz once things are already decided what's the point discussing yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a wonderful trend
1: Wonderful. What advice, Wes, would you give to patients or caregivers who are interested in participating in medical research, but may be unsure of how to get started?
3: Well, a simple way, uh, we love love to help folks do that. So um, I I invite people to visit our website, rarepatientvoice.com. And we list various studies that we have available. So people can look uh, even before they sign up. Once they sign up, if they have a certain condition, we'll we'll, we'll email them. But, and and that's a nice way for people to ease into it because they could read 10 emails and decide not to do them. And on the 11th one, they said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. This doesn't sound too bad. I'll start with a 15 minute survey or I mm. do online surveys. They want to talk. People have their preferences. They can pick and choose what, what they prefer to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always tell patients, you're the boss. You are the. If somebody asks the question, like back to politicians, if somebody asks a question, you don't want to answer. You don't have to answer. You're mm-hmm. the boss. You can say I'm not comfortable with that. Um, so, you, so you don't have to worry about being putting put into a position where where you're you know uncomfortable.
1: How many patients would you say are on your roster? Um- we have yeah, we
3: have 145,000 patients. Oh my God! Uh, wow! different diseases, and that doesn't include a lot of subtypes of diseases. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. depending on how you define it,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: we've done now uh, over 9,000 studies, and th- one of the things I'm most proud of, we've paid patients over 13 million dollars for taking part. So
1: unbelievable! Uh, so this is a large scale. It, it went from is- me
3: now to 40 some folks, and uh, and everybody else doing all the hard work, and me doing the fun things like talking to YouTube. So. Uh,
1: congratulations!
2: <laughs> so Wes, is there a message you would like to leave with our listeners today?
3: Well, yeah, um, the thing that impresses me when I go to patient events, I, people have must have, have a, very difficult conditions with their children or their parents. And yeah. I'm always amazed that they're not, you know, I'm like, wow, if I had this, and then I remember they're not just diagnosed. I'm seeing them after people have like regrouped and, and they're coming to these events because they've got a fighting spirit, right? What can I do? Or even if their loved ones passed away, they're still coming, they say, I wanna help the others. So I guess my thing is uh, take advantage of that spirit. You know, even if you're down in the dumps, go to some of these events, work with these groups, see other people that have been through it and and try to turn those those feelings, which have gotta be a terrible, you know, terrible when you get a certain diagnosis, try to turn that into a positive, whether it helps you, it might help others. And, and one of the what? ways I invite people is certainly to work with us. We're always our, our arms are open to people joining us with any, and not just rare conditions. We allow people with any conditions to join us. So, um,
2: Wes, I think that is a wonderful, wonderful message, just talking about the human spirit and right. our fellow uh, travelers along the way. How we help each other. What a wonderful way to uh, end our session. I wanted to ask you one other question. Uh-huh. So. Um, when is rare disease day? Oh, and why is this day? Uh, why was this day chosen?
3: Yeah. Rare disease day is the rarest day on the calendar. And, and this year <laughs> we uh-huh. have the rarest of day cause it's a leap year and the rarest day uh-huh. is February 29th, right? It only happens once every four right. years. So rare disease day was chosen for that day. Now on the other years we have it, but we have to pick like the 28th or something, but this year we're fortunate it's the 29th. It actually is the rarest day on the calendar. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited every year we go to the uh, uh my colleague Pam and I represent rare patient voice we go to the uh, National Institute of Health in Bethesda they have a wonderful program and people come from around the country representing different advocacy groups and uh various people come and speak and we learn about the developments and and what NIH is doing to uh to further treatments and and you know support groups and things like that so um, let's let's celebrate this rare disease day, February 29th. And if anybody listening is going to be in uh, uh, Bethesda uh, for that meeting, please, we'll have a table and we'd love to meet folks, there, so please come.
2: Well, I don't think any of us will now ever forget rare disease day, February 29th. <laughs> 29th, everybody. yeah. It's leap year, it's leap year. year.
1: Well, thank you,
2: thank you, thank you so much, Wes, for uh, sharing today, all this great insight. And um, it's wonderful to have you as a guest today. Thank well, you so my much. My pleasure.
3: It, it's thank a, it's you. Wonderful to talk to you. I always always love to tell our story and and get your perspectives on on it. So. And really pat
1: yourself on the back. What you have done <laughs> is really terrific and large scale.
3: of A lot of folks, you know, like yes. you help spread the word. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Happened to Me. We encourage you to learn more at ithappentomepod.com. Please use the contact form on our website to submit your guest suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for the show. You can also email us directly at ithappentomepod at gmail.com. We would really appreciate it if you can leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app like Apple or Spotify. This helps others in the rare disease and medical challenge community find us. It Happened to Me is created and hosted by Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman. I'm Kira Danine from DNA Today, and I serve as our executive producer and marketing lead. Amanda Andrioli is our associate producer. Ashlyn Anokian is our graphic designer. And remember, it happened to me. I'm not alone, and neither are you.